Hey, storytellers. If you like the show, you can find Life Narrated on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever streaming service you use. It really helps others find the podcast and validates our existence. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Life Narrated, the podcast about life and the stories we tell. My name is Emily, and the seven sisters are calling me home. My name is Lauren, and I'm into the third kind of encounter. I'm Matt, and I want to believe. (laughs) And today we're going to talk about aliens, in case you didn't pick up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I just felt really bad for all the people who can't see our Google Hangout Yeah, video. I know. Yeah. And also the and people little... who are too young to know where that song is from. I, I was just doing my copyright homework, and that would not be an infringement because it was so transformative, guys. Right? <laughs> if anything, that was parody. We should just sing all the songs we want to sing. Right? Because we're so bad at them. What's another, what's another alien song we could sing really fast? <laughs> Anyways, we're talking about aliens. We are talking today. about yeah. aliens. Um, and yeah, so today we're talking about aliens. And we're going to start with the science portion. Um, and mostly like modern science. You know, uh, I don't... We're going to talk about ancient aliens later. Um, but I'd like to start with the Drake equation. Do you guys know what the Drake equation is? I do. Cool. Would you like to tell us? Re- relatively recently in world history, like let's say 1970s, maybe. 1961. Oh, so close. You were close. This guy named Drake uh, came up with this equation that was like pretty speculative about how many alien species should be in the universe or in our in a certain right. space. And just to clarify, this is not the Canadian rapper Drake. This is the <laughs> astronomer Frank Drake, who was a radio Frank astronomer. Drake, that's right. Frank and Drake. He, Frank. He came up with this, this equation that had like maybe like 15 different numbers in it. And of those, something like 12 of them are, like, best guesses. Like, we just don't know the answers to what those numbers actually are. And the idea is that if you could run this equation, you'd be able to get the number of intelligent species in the universe that we could contact. Right, exactly. So it's meant to estimate the odds of encountering an extraterrestrial, not encountering an extraterrestrial in space, but of communicating with civilization, basically. And so I'm just going to read you, basically, this equation. None of these numbers are can be quantified like everyone can come up with a different number it's just it's not a definite equation i guess if you want to call it that so but we'll go into this afterwards because i have things to say yeah okay so the it's the rate of the formation of stars suitable for development of intelligent life times the fraction of those stars with planetary systems times the number of planets per solar system with an environment suitable for life times the fraction of life bearing planets on which intelligent life emerges times the fraction of civilizations that develop a technology that releases detectable signs of their existence into space times the length of time such civilizations release detectable signals into space. All of that equals the number of civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy whose electromagnetic emissions are detectable. So that's obviously a lot. There's a lot of like a lot of weird things like 
we don't know what alien life, like what a, an environment for alien life would necessarily be. Right. So it's like hard to come up with a number for like planets that have that kind of special environment because like I mean even we only know one. The, the idea this will come up later when we are talking about science fiction, but there was that's one of the problems, or I shouldn't say a problem, but maybe scientifically a problem, but like literarily speaking, not so much. But the idea that we would have like that our evolution would be similar to an alien is like because humans are very conceited. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard for us to imagine that something didn't evolve the same way we did. And like, right. so you see a lot of aliens being humanoid. This whole premise is based on, I mean, this whole equation is based on the premise that we will be able to detect their, you know, technology, their uh, communication signals. Right. Like, that's another one. They might not, totally. they might not even use the radio waves or whatever it is, you know? And so uh, actually, this led some guy named uh, Fermi, another scientist, to try, actually try and run his best guess at these numbers. And um, he came up with a number that was, like, so outlandishly large. Astronomical. It was astronomically large. We should be, like, throwing rocks and hitting aliens. Yeah. But we're, we're just not. And so that led to what's known as the Fermi paradox, which is, like, the paradox is, like, this number exists, like, this millions and millions of aliens per square foot number but why don't we have aliens? Right, exactly. And so this is obviously not an exact science here. And he's not a mathematician either. Again, he's a radio astronomer. That was the only description of his job I could find was radio astronomer. <laughs> That's not to say that it's not an interesting, you know, thought experiment. But it's not useful in terms of like setting policy or spending, you know, research dollars. But right. it's still interesting to think about. He has a very good point on all of this. That being said, we have looked for a lot of life in our solar system. First, we have SETI, which is the search for intelligent, um, search for extraterrestrial life, uh, intelligent life, I think is what it is. But um, they've been around since the 1960s. They recently, with the help of NASA's Kepler Space Telescope, they've been able to direct their searches. So... Going back, here are the ways that we try and find life in our solar system. First, we try and go places. And this is an experiment I described to you on our last podcast, actually, uh, where they would dump organic matter onto the surface of an alien, like the moon or Mars or whatever, and record the reaction. And they did that on Mars, and there was a huge reaction, and they're like, oh my god, there's life on Mars, but actually there's just, like, hydrochloric acid on Mars. <laughs> so, like, that clearly wasn't working, so they stopped doing that. Um, another way that they do that is, you know, through satellites, sending probes, etc. The Voyager, um, I don't know if you would call it a probe or satellite. It's a spacecraft. spacecraft. Um, they fitted it with a golden disc, not disc. Yeah. A record? It's a record. Record. It's a record. Yeah. With, um, like... People speaking in different languages, uh, different musical compositions, including Johnny B. Good, is on there forever. For they did animal sounds too. I think like whale songs. Yeah, and... whale songs. There was like the the um, horrifying. I saw this on Drunk History. The like recording of brain of somebody who's in love. Did you guys huh. see that episode about Carl Sagan yes! on Drunk oh, History? I, did. I love Carl Sagan. I did not see that episode. It's very cute. You should watch it. Yeah, so we've, like, been trying to communicate with people outside of our own cellular system. Another way that we do this 
is um, we've been radio live for 120 years. So that means like we've been broadcasting stuff out into the atmosphere for 120 years. So anyone within 120 light years of us can pick up our radio signals, our TV signals, all of that stuff. It's just out in space, just going farther and farther. Do you think that like, you know, because like, so what someone 120 light years away is going to be hearing this stuff from 120 years ago. So That's going to be just like really dumb racist <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, no. That's why they haven't that. contacted us because they hear this they stuff and they're like, we're assholes. No. <laughs> Well, that's actually one of the... Uh, no, thank you. That's one of the like the, the supposed solutions to the Fermi Paradox is that they're just disgusted by us. Aliens know we're here. <laughs> they just avoid us. And it's like... Because our radio shows are really <laughs> gross reason, 120 yeah. years ago. Well, so um, since that's the case, they've kind of used this idea. And every time there's a supernova, for instance, there's a supernova in the Western, hem- you know, Western hemisphere of our sky. And so we automatically turn towards the eastern hemisphere and start blasting radio signals. So if anyone sees the supernova, is out there and sees the supernova, then they'll also receive all of our signals. They'll be looking in time to see in our all direction. of our, see our signals. Oh, I see. So they're looking at the supernova. Yeah. And then as they look at the supernova, it's a visual cue, but also like... Oh, wait, we're getting all those radio signals. Whoa, crazy. Exactly, exactly. So if huh, if an alien civilization is trying to record this supernova, we're going to be like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's very human of us. It like, is very human. Hey, you guys like supernovas? We love supernovas. What's up? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're my favorite. And so we do this every time there's a huge, you know, uh, astrological event. Um, and some people aren't too excited that we're doing this. Like, they're like, you're telling the aliens where we are. So, That's another solution to the Fermi Paradox, is that all other alien species know there's something really bad out there, and so they're very, very quiet. <laughs> and Except for humans. <laughs> I also read this other one that was like, they're all green aliens, so they don't have any energy leakage like we do, where they're not blasting shit out into oh, space. Yeah. And they're like, whoever the fuck that is, we don't want to hang out with them. <laughs> I like the idea that, like, Aliens will contact us one day and be like, we are in interstellar jail because we've been <laughs> polluting the entire, like, local group for, like, thousands of years. And we just have to, like, pay back that time being quiet <laughs> until... It's it's quiet time now. <laughs> That's right. You guys have been screwing with the, the local group for 300 years. Just stop it. In 300 more years, you can join the interstellar community. <laughs> so we also look for debris from uh, asteroid mining operations, thinking that if aliens are advanced enough, they would start mining asteroids for minerals, like we're considering doing. So um, that's Again, thing. I feel like that's an asshole human thing. <laughs> <laughs> another thing is that... Um, the when they when they find exoplanets and exoplanets are planets that are not in our solar system they're going around a different star so the way they find them is that when they pass in front of that star they create a little shadow and we record that and we can see that there's a planet there so if we see something passing in front of a star that is an irregular shape it's not planet shaped that's something that might indicate there is another um uh, civilization out there and a really brief primer on planets in our solar system that might have life. Mars has been a lot in the news in the last 10, 15 years because it, we've just been trying to get, 
you know, we've been trying to get to it. Um, <laughs> Buzz is Buzz Aldrin is really into it, and he's like, uh, he has a T-shirt that says "Get Your Ass to Mars." <laughs> so um, Elon Musk really wants to go too. Yeah, well, see, Buzz Aldrin, you can see him training for the Apollo mission where he went to the moon with a uh-huh. T-shirt that said "Get Your Ass to Mars." So he's oh, been wow. on this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. He. Yeah. So. Mars, we have not found any proof of life on Mars. However, we have found proof that there was liquid water, which is like a huge prerequisite. So it's very possible there was life on Mars. Probably not right now. See, but again, we're assuming that other alien life forms need water or oxygen for that matter. Right. Or hydrogen. You know what I mean? Like this idea that like. Well, life has to have water. Well, that's on Earth. <laughs> I mean, the, the yeah, fact that's that we how haven't we haven't established it. it anywhere else kind of makes me feel like Earth is the only one that needs water. <laughs> um, but it's the only place we have life, so it's like the only thing we have to go it's on. Our you know? only like, frame of yeah. reference. It's a reasonable assumption, but it's also like very limited. Yeah, <laughs> right. So the incidentally, the three Galilean moons are all also being seriously considered for having life, starting with my favorite, Europa. That has a subterranean, probably has a subterranean ocean. So it has an ocean of liquid water underneath a thick layer of ice. And they know that because they've been observing the um, layer of ice. They found out that it was ice. And then they f- it has cracks in it and the cracks change. So they think... So it's almost like they're Exactly, exactly. And so of? they think that... There's an ocean there that has tides and is, it coats all of the rest of it in like salt. So there was something about how the salt was making it. I don't remember. I, I'm not a very good astrobiologist, but they've also (laughs) observed um, vapor plumes erupting. So that's kind of like, um, it's very cold out there. Obviously it's very far from the sun. But if there's liquid water, it could be that the um, they have a molten core like Earth, and it's keeping the water relatively warm, in which case there could be life down there, you know? Mm, it's warm enough at least to yeah. be liquid until it exactly. shoots out. Yeah. So um, I am excited about space mermaids. <laughs> but, yeah. Me right? too. Mm. Writing this down for our space next space. Space mermaids. <laughs> Um, Mermaids. Ganymede okay. is also one of the... Gal- so the Galilean moons were discovered in 1610 by Galileo. Um, and he named them. And they're all Jupiter's moons. Shocking. <laughs> they're all moons for, of Jupiter. Um, and he named them after Jupiter's um, lady friends. And and male friends. Ganymede is a dude. His lovers. So uh, Jupiter is a Greek Jupiter god. Jupiter is a Roman god. Roman god. Zeus. He's Roman. It would be Zeus yes. in Greek. Um, Zeus's uh, buddy pal Ganymede uh, was the cupbearer, (laughs) whatever that means. And it too has an ocean, a smaller ocean underneath two thick layers of ice, but it has a dead core, like a solid iron core. However, the movement of the ocean could be keeping warmth in there somehow. The radiation, it was also not considered a great um, idea, a great place for life because of the radiation from Jupiter. But it could be, you know, um, actually, Europe, the European Space Agency is planning a flyby of the all three of these moons. 
and it's going to then enter the orbit around Ganymede. So Ganymede is their idea of the most likely ha- life having thing. Their top, top choice. choice. Americans are putting their money on Europa. They're sending actually about the same time a probe to Europa. And then there's Io, which is a volcanic moon, which is like basically solid volcanoes all the way around. <laughs> but it- <laughs> definitely a place for life. Good, yeah. good choice. Um, and it has lots of race. I, I put down here it has lots of radiation from J Town from from Jupiter. <laughs> J Town going down <laughs> on you with radiation. <laughs> um, it has a really thin atmosphere, Kay. but. There is uh, solid evidence that there was liquid water, like it was full of oceans at one point. And all of the liquid water has been stripped from the top by radiation, but the water could be in the rocks. So it could be very warm with lots of water. It's Interesting. It was before considered not a very good candidate, but now it's kind of one of the top choices. Anyway, that's that's kind of a, va- <laughs> a long, I guess, overview of what we're thinking. But I would like to leave you with the fact that SETI's motto is absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. So they're they're pretty um, into this. And you can donate uh, your computer processing power to them so that they can help um, sort through radio signals they get from the space. And that's actually one of the oldest uh, internet connected uh, apps that you could have downloaded. Really? I remember back in high school, you could you could download that app. The SETI at home nice. system. So they've been doing it for a while. Yeah, Lauren, you were saying something about creatures that live, that could live in space. Oh, yeah. So one of my favorite things is tardigrades or water bears. Water bears, they're terrifying. Water, but also amazing. They're so tiny. They're so tiny, and you're probably drinking Thanks. some right now. Thanks. Maybe not. Probably not. It can't live in <laughs> I'm just like, mm. <laughs> That's the one thing that kills them. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> Um, because this episode is not about water bears, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but they can survive anything. Like scientists have been doing studies on them for like a really long time now and they can survive at like temperatures up to like 300 degrees Fahrenheit and they can survive at like negative 200 some, like it's close or no negative 400 something like. It's like the closest we can, like, science will let us get to true zero. Like, they can live in these extremes and they can, like, live without water for, like, decades. They basically just, like, turn into this, like, little husk. But then they can rehydrate Mm -hmm. because their metabolism in that state gets to, like, it's like 0.01%. So they're still there. They're good for a while. (laughs) Yeah. And then you can just, like, rehydrate them and they'll, like, their cells will wake back up. So there was a space space study. I don't want to say space expedition. I think they took them up to the space Mm -hmm. station and found that they can also survive in the vacuum of space. Wow. Mm. So that has led some people to theorize that like tardigrades or other organisms like tardigrades could be an example of how... Something could have come to Earth or leave Earth. And like, so... How life, how like organic life could do that. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, this this like microorganism can survive in space, in the vacuum of space and not die in, in these extreme temperatures. So this is something that could like potentially, you know, send out into space. It could land on one of those moons and survive and evolve. Right. Mm. And there, there's you know, a, so. there is a thought um, that I was reading about that I didn't really 
grasp like when the moon became the moon a lot of asteroids came out of earth so earth separated itself and part of it became the moon and so there were also other debris and the idea is that possibly this debris hit other planets so whatever life-giving molecules were on earth could be for instance on io yeah so and tardigrades they they found fossilized tardigrades that dated to like five million years ago so so there's terrifying water bears on io and some really vicious mermaids that like fight them all the time this is this is or they ride them like what if the like space bears and they have like an alliance or like the dragon riders of kern right here they See, I them. think that space bears are cute because they remind me of Appa from oh, Airbender. Yeah. <laughs> Their little six legs. They do have like six legs and they kind of wobble. <laughs> yeah, and they kind of just wee. Hey, faithful listeners. Do you have an idea for an episode topic? Do you have your own opinions about what we talk about when we talk about zombies? Do you suspect someone of mind wizardry? Are you your own grandpa? Do you suspect us of mind wizardry? Let us know what you're thinking by emailing us at suggestions at lifenarrated.com. So Lauren. Yeah, Lauren, you were going to tell us some stuff about um, the history of alien abductions. I'm calling this segment Aliens in America. (laughs) And... When you think about that, think angels in America, but aliens, and then it's, like, way funnier. <laughs> um, so I wrote down, and I'm not going to talk long about these things because it's not really, like, I, I think they're important because they are, so these are things that really exist, but they permeated our media and our culture. And so when I say things like Project Blue Book, um, that is a government program that was, like, charged with investigating ufos specifically ufos from like 1948 to 1969 and they were shut down because of funding like they couldn't find anything um or it's not that they didn't find anything is that like statements were released where it was like nothing has been found that about a ufos that threatens our national security so they stopped funding it so that's a very kind of like opaque statement about just like well we don't feel threatened so <laughs> that's right like we definitely found aliens that's not the problem <laughs> right they're all over the place they're just we got this so i feel like that one might be a little bit lesser known um but when i say roswell yeah everyone's like oh roswell uh, and that's a very common, like, you hear Roswell and you're like, oh, aliens. Like, even if you don't know why, mm-hmm. you know that Roswell. So Roswell is a town in New Mexico. And that is where it's believed that the first, like, UFO, like, crash landed okay. in the 1940s. And that's where um, supposedly Area 51 is located. Yeah. So Area 51 is the next thing, which is a government location whose, like, sole function is to recover and hide like alien bodies and UFOs and artifacts that we get from these crashes. So I'm going to lead into my like favorite statistic of this whole thing. So a recent poll shows 71% of Americans believe that the U.S. government is hiding evidence of alien life. Compared that to only 68% of Americans believe that Jesus is the son of God. 
<laughs> so more people believe that the government is hiding aliens than, you know, identify as Christian and believe in Christianity's core tenet. So, you know, actually, now that I think about that, like, when you first said that, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. Like, but it really makes kind of sense because, you know, be- believing in aliens kind of crosses all religious boundaries. Like, you can be a Muslim and believe in aliens, but, like, not believe that Jesus is the Son of God or whatever, you know? Right. Like, so, like, that makes some kind of sense, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah. Like, that's reasonable. <laughs> At the first, I was like, it's not, yeah. you should just make, make aliens our God because more people <laughs> believe in them. Well, and But I now they, I'm like, well, I don't know about that. I think they <laughs> use that as a comparison because, like, at least for now, Christianity is the, like, dominant religion sure. in the United States. Yeah, that makes sense. And so. um, I just want to point out that I uh, was listening to this other podcast called Backstory. It's very interesting. It has a lot of academics talking about stuff in the news and giving like a cultural and historical backstory to it and they're specifically talking about ufos and they were talking a lot about how ufos are the first ufo that was spotted by like a um airman a pilot he thought that it was some sort of spiritual thing like it's it seems to be very intertwined with uh spirituality and religion in a supernatural kind of way. Because supernatural, that word, means above the natural. Whereas preternatural mm. means beside the natural. So supernatural would be um, using to refer to, like, God and angels, you know, and aliens. Because it's above the natural. And quite literally, like, coming from above. Yeah, quite literally. You know, so, like, something seen in the air yeah. could easily be, like, you know. Um, yeah, so... Briefly, I'm going to touch on the what's called the abduction phenomenon, hmm. which started with Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, it's a married couple. Both of them claim to have been abducted on September 19th, 1961. If you are interested in that, you should just look them up and like read their story because um, Barney, the husband, passed away not that long ago. Oh. Or, excuse me, not that long after. So this happened in, like, 1961. I think he passed away in, like, 1965 or something okay. like that. So his wife lives and has, like, continued to, like, you know, expand upon their story and, like, tell their story and stuff. And there's, like, a TV documentary, doco drama thing. James Earl Jones was in it. <laughs> so, um, you know, kind of talking about that. But that's really, so 1961. So, as I said before, like... That's when Seti was The created. crash landing... Yeah, like, that's when, you know, Roswell's crash landing happened in the, like, late 40s. But, like, the first time you hear this, like, people coming forward to say that they've been taken by aliens was in the, like, early 60s. Um, So, people who have been abducted generally, I think, like, the word now is not, like, abductee, but experiencer. Interesting. <laughs> so... That's like the community, what how they refer to themselves, <laughs> or at least the things I read. Yeah, so no, I saw that too. You've been abducted by aliens, and you don't want to be called an experiencer. I apologize. Experiencer, um, but it didn't seem to be like derogatory. It seemed to be like a self-identified yeah. term. So um, now I'm worried about <laughs> upsetting of the experiencer. Hey, if you're an experiencer, definitely listening in. If you're an experiencer and you have a problem with that term, please email us and tell us why, because we want to know. And we will talk yeah. about it on, on air. Um, Speaking of, if you are listening to the show and you literally want to email us for any reason, we'll probably talk about <laughs> it on air. So. <laughs> we'll get real excited. Uh, bots in Seattle, was it? 
or uh, oh, Oregon. Boardman, Oregon. Hey, we have yeah, some yeah. very devoted fans in Boardman, hey, Oregon. Boardman, so Oregon. thank you, guys. Yeah. We, we're fans you of yours. <laughs> yeah. Aww. But, <laughs> true. I'm like, email us. <laughs> um, suggestions so yeah. at li- uh, lifenarrated.com. Um, so, yeah. So, that kind of started all. And then you had more and more people coming out and saying, like, oh, I was abducted, too. And so, there are people who would get hip they would do hypnosis regression Mm -hmm. which is when you go under when someone hypnotizes you with the sole purpose of like going like taking you back through your memories to get more clarity Mm -hmm. and a lot of experiencers apparently will go through this process if you talk to like modern psychologists they don't really put a lot of stock into that (laughs) um it's kind of fringy science um but there are certain explanations so there are people who say like i don't want to say that you weren't that you know that you didn't have this experience but they're looking at like scientific kind of alternatives so a lot of people think like well epilepsy can create Mm. loss of time so like one of the things that people who are abducted talk about like oh i saw this like white light or this person coming towards me and then I lost a chunk of time and I woke up somewhere else, right? Interesting. Um, so, like, epilepsy has been narcolepsy also. Um, and then sleep paralysis, where you... Essentially, your body kind of semi-paralyzes itself and the thought is that it does this so that you don't act out your dreams. Yeah. So, like, that, you know, if you're, like... Walking in your dreams that your body doesn't get up and start walking. Um, And there are times when your brain will wake up, but that part of your body that controls the paralysis is not awake. And it's very, very scary. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it. It's actually a chemical. When you're truly asleep, there's a chemical that floods your body that basically paralyzes you. And um, that's why you can't really sleep standing up. When you wake up suddenly, the chemical isn't flushed out of your system, so you're still paralyzed for just a couple yeah. seconds. And it's horrifying. Like, people people describe it as, like, feeling... They, they feel like they can feel other presences in the room or, like, pressure on their chest um, and, like, having out-of-body experiences, so, like, being awake but not feeling connected to your body. So that's sleep paralysis is another thing that people say, like, well, this could be what you're experiencing when you think you've been abducted. And they've also noticed that a lot of people's experiences seem to kind of revolve around um, being taken forcefully, like, so non-consensual abduction yeah. where you're just, like, the alien shows up and takes you. Um, there's also a lot of, like, physical and psychological, like, I don't want to say, like, torture, but, like, you know, I'm going to throw it out there. Anal probing <laughs> is, like, a big thing, yeah. and it's become, like, this, I dare say, a trope yeah. um, of, like, aliens. Most certainly, yeah. Right, where, you know, you get abducted, <laughs> and then they do, like, weird things to your body, of, you know, and sometimes they are, of like, a sexual nature or involving, like, your sexual organs, and so some psychologists believe that these people might have been, like, sexually assaulted and that they are having almost, like, PTSD-like right. flashbacks. Interesting. How they think that this kind of became mainstream culture is that, like, in the 50s and 60s, we started exploring space. 
So now we are, as a, as a world, right, not just the United States, although this is where this article focused, yeah. we, are, we are being confronted with, like, this huge unknown void. Like, we have no choice but to accept that, like, oh, my gosh, space is this big unknown, and it's so much bigger than we could have ever have thought. Like, man, that's a hard thing to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. You Cold also war. simultaneously have the Cold War happening, which permeates people with, like, nationalism and isolationism and fear of invasion. Uh-huh. And then in the 70s, we see, like, a very, like, publicized experimentation of drugs. So you think about people using, like, hallucinogenics where people are, like, using these drugs and saying things like out-of-body experiences right. and, you know... And then in the 80s, you have the stranger danger kind of movement, which, again, is kind of about that fear of the unknown, fear of each other, fear of abduction. So some people think that, like, all for all these reasons, like, alien abduction just, like, was not a far jump hmm. for people because it was, like, kind of put into our minds. So then when somebody says, like, Oh, yeah, an alien. Oh, yeah, the same thing happened to me. And you experienced it. Yeah, just like this. And la-da-da-da-da. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't hard for people to, like, jump to that and then, like, hold on to okay. it. And then in the 90s, you see that kind of pop. Yeah. There's, like, a bubble I, I that, like, pops. Do you want to mention, um, we're not going to go too into it on this program because I don't think it's anything in our experience and I don't really know too much about it, but... The Backstory Podcast, which is definitely worth a listen, they talked about the African-American experience of abduction and that it was very often disregarded when talking about this in mainstream culture, but also very different from white Americans. Like a lot of referencing to the homeland and the aliens are taking you home. And most of them had very pleasant experiences with aliens. Um, Interesting. In fact, a lot of... Anyway, a lot of prominent African-Americans have had experiences, including um, George Clinton, um, Charlemagne the God, who's a personality, and um, Ra the Sun God, who's a rapper. So a lot of people have had these experiences, and it's much different from what white Americans experience. And one of the things that they bring up on the Backstory podcast, definitely listen because they go through it much more in more detail, is that the African-American experience has been fraught with these violations of their personhood you know in so many ways that when it comes to like they see it it's kind of like this apocalyptic literature thing which i have been trying to explain and poorly but basically people on the bottom see this future coming where things will be reversed and so that is kind of part of this where they see this future coming where this in everything will be reversed the you know black beauty will be the ideal etc etc so it's i think it's very fascinating and i think um they definitely explain it better they talk to a scholar who specializes in that kind of folklore it's really very interesting um yeah lauren before we get too deep you said there was an article you were reading do you remember what the name of that article was yeah so the the article right here it's called why alien abductions are down dramatically it's by linda rodriguez mcrobbie and it's the part of, it's like written in the boston boston globe boston globe okay yeah. yeah okay just in case you want to look at that article yourself yeah and uh, she does it i really i really liked 
how she came about it because there are several moments where it's like, and this, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I just don't, I want to give credit where credit's due. That's all. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I was going to cite her. Beat you to it. <laughs> you did beat me to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, yeah. But so just remember, too, that like the 1950s were the golden age. Right. Quote, unquote, of science fiction. And interestingly so, enough, um, they also mentioned on that podcast that the, um, the reason that Roswell became this big thing was because it was just at the time of the Manhattan Project, which like the vice president didn't even know about at the time. And so they mm. were used to the government keeping secrets. And so they're like, well, they kept secrets about that. Like, why would they tell us about aliens? <laughs> like, right. so it was kind of like an easy shift in uh, mentality at the time. And I think that's probably, probably losing faith in our governmental systems helped with that pop you talked about in the 90s. Like, I don't really think they have the capability to detect aliens at the po- moment. No offense, NASA. Um, but also uh, another result of that 90s pop, like you spoke about, was um, the Heaven's Gate um, incident where a, a, a cult, let's call them a cult, um, they all committed. It's called spade a spade. Yeah, here. it's called spade a spade. They all committed suicide in the nineties, and this. Stop laughing. That's not funny. <laughs> no, I'm just. I'm sorry. If anybody from Heaven's Gate is listening, please send us an email at suggestions <laughs> at livenarrated.com, and we'll love to talk about your offense on air. Your offense on your air. Offense on um, <laughs> Matt's just gonna hawk that email address throughout the whole show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they basically, this was a cult that started in the 60s, same time as all this started happening. And they had up to, they had about a thousand followers at a certain point. Very big um, group. They would basically put ads out that were like, do you want to talk about aliens? Come see us. And like, that's how they got people. <laughs> and so people. Honestly, that sounds pretty good. Know, like, right? I'd go talk about aliens. <laughs> These guys just want to talk about aliens. All right. They, they got people to come and talk to them and join their cult. And. At the point in the 90s when this happened, they had been dwindling for a while and they kind of decided, well, we're not going to get any more people to join our cause, so we might as well leave. Like, we've been trying to save these heathens forever and they're just not taking our help, so let's go. And, I mean, another thing that that happened is one of their two founders died and their whole thing is that you die and you get resurrected by aliens to live your best life in space. But she, she died of cancer and, like, she definitely didn't resurrect like that they, they had to burn her body eventually she was still dead oh they think they're like your literal body literal body resurrects so then they not like they kind of changed their tune a little bit and they were like we're update we're uploaded to our consciousness is uploaded to the stars basically oh yeah you'd have to then yeah, right, right. Yeah. exactly like, hey here's proof that this is banana balls <laughs> so i mean we're all just going to go to the USB jack in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> so that was their thing. Uh, and so they just decided that... Um, How quickly I turned on them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How quickly I turned. <laughs> Sorry, Emily. It's okay. It's all right. That's That's basically all I had to say was that it was interesting that this pop happened in the 90s because that's so many of these things happened you know as a result yeah i mean there's even like talks about too how like um so when we talk more about like the media aspect of it but like the x-files was like a huge show and it's you know it's ratings kind of started to dwindle and like you know yeah and then and then truthfully too you know 
um, one of the other things in that article I was talking about that I read talked about like 9-11 happened and people were just like didn't give a shit yeah there was aliens, like, they were like yeah aliens. we got planes blown up we have bigger problems up. exactly yeah this I don't know if this is for our podcast but you know people like you were saying Emily where it's like oh well Manhattan Project the government's full of lies you know it kind of refocused <laughs> the conspiracies yeah. kind of back to yeah like terrestrial uh, problems exactly exactly interesting so to uh, to recap real quick we have in the 50s so th- I think it's really interesting I guess I'll start there is that a lot of things we've talked about in the past are kind of like tropes and ideas of creatures that have grown up through the millennia of human history of like people experiencing weird things and like trying to put a name and a face to it whereas aliens in comparison are like a relatively new thing like it they started from what I can understand you guys talking about like in around the 50s and in the 1945 and stuff but Although, they did right, there's a couple examples that Lauren will talk about in a second of stories of people from off the planet uh, that predate by much uh, uh, many generations that thing but like our general conscious like uh, current pop culture thing I think calling them aliens is what you're referring to like like calling them so aliens and thinking about people from like of a different of a different species coming from not earth like coming from somewhere in space before we had what um, Lauren is about to talk about people would just interpret these things as this phenomenons as like holy um interventions so right gods or right, ghosts or exactly something. so i think it's it's a comment on our scientific mind coming through that mm-hmm. you know we started talking about aliens and that's that sort of thing hey storytellers we've cut this episode into two parts because it ran a little long Keep an eye out for the second half of our discussion on aliens coming later this month. We talk cosmic pluralism, humans as space orcs, and Tim the Toolman Taylor's experience with aliens. Thanks for listening.